We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tons of great questions, folks. We're going to kind of hear we're maybe about an hour. We're not going to be able to get through all of them because Ryan's got a lot of recruiting phone calls to make. And and I've got some things I got to get taken care of here and some stories I got to edit and publish and all that kind of good stuff. But let's rock through these questions here, Ryan, uh, as part of our daily mailbag. My man, Mark Kurtzmanich, who we haven't seen in a while, says, been a bit. Thank you for Super Chat, Mark. What do you think will be the biggest difference in defenses, daily daily practices from last year to this year? I mean, I guess in just general, just seeing it live and Vince and you would obviously would have a better indicator of what it's looked like in the past, but it seems like competition is a lot at a higher degree, right? It seems like their energy is a little higher. It seems like everything is kind of built off of we're going to compete, some one-on-ones, some team, some teams, some inside run. Like we're, and those are things that are always traditionally a part of a practice, but it seems like things are at a little higher stake where it's a little more of an energy to compete, if I have that correct. Yeah, I think the tempo is a lot faster too. I mean, they, you can't play fast if you don't practice fast. And one of the concerns they had is, and it wasn't so much from, you know, what the coach, the, the defensive coordinator wanted to do, but just the structure of the practices made it hard at times to really just practice with great speed and, and intensity. And if the offense isn't practicing that way, it's harder for the defense to practice that way. And so I think that's another one that we're going to see. But just, um, you know, again, they're not going to be a ton of changes structurally because, you know, again, there's a, already a good uh, in, uh, situation in place. But I think you're just going to – the tempo, the, the competition. Like, they turn everything into a competition now. Like, fumble drill. Like, it's like they turn everything into a competition. It's like, who's going to win? Who's going to get the most? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? And I think that's a really, really, really big thing. Well, well defense is built so much off of energy, right? Like, right. that's – I mean, football is a game of momentum in general, but defense especially, man, like, it's – it's a little less structured at points. Like obviously there's a structured defense, gap integrity, zone discipline, all those types of things. You know, if you're switching against man concepts, like whatever it would be. But I mean, defense is really where you can kind of let loose a little more. So the energy I think is like, you can't quantify how important it is in my opinion. Yep. Next question is from DD boy off topic. Fun question. Is Marcus Freeman going to bring a new look to the uniform this year? 
It seems like every new coach puts a slight twist on the traditional look. I'm going to start by saying I pray to God. I hope he does, and I hope it's the pants that change. You love I the pants. I hate the freaking mustard pants. <laughs> hate them. And, and it doesn't matter at the end of the day. They're not going to win or lose games because of the pants, but I hate the pants. I really, really, because like sometimes they look fluorescent, like at night on night games, they don't look mustard. They look fluorescent. It's just, it's the weirdest thing. I can't stand, especially in photos. They look terrible in photos on night games, but I just, I hate the pants, man. I really, really do. There's one other change I would make. And I, and I, and I know this, this, you're either going to love this or you're going to hate it. But number one, this one, there's two changes actually. Number one, I would always make the road uniforms have a green number with gold outline. I would. Always, that would be my go-to, like they wore for the Sugar Bowl in 92. That would be my permanent road uniform. The I think the I think their road uniforms are just kind of boring. You know, it's like just the little blue and then the white and the gold. I love the gold, but you get I think the green would really pop a lot more. And another game that they wore green on the road that I loved was the Michigan game in 2011. I just think the green on the white pops more than the blue does. I would make that change. Then the other thing I would do, and again, this is the part people are going to love or hate, with the home uniform and the road uniform, I would make the cleats and the gloves green. So blue, gold, gold, and then green on the extremities. I think that would be sweet. And I look at like the the gloves and the cleats they wore in the Cotton Bowl in 2018, and I say add those to the home uniform. I think that would look that would look really really sweet. That's what I, I need- said you're either love it or hate it. I need to look it up. I need to yeah. see what it looks like. Because green on blue can look bad if you don't do it right. Right. That, that was my initial bad. my initial response is that green can clash with a lot of things. That's why yeah. I like it. Like instead of like putting like the green thing here or green indie here, have it be the extremities. So they're kind of out on an island on themselves. It's the cleats and the gloves, is how I would do it. I think that would look sweet. Like I wouldn't do like like green socks. Like, no, that's too that's just weird. But I think having them like that, and then I, it's easy to do it for the road. I mean, we've seen them do it. I thought the I thought the green gloves and cleats look sweet in the in the Cotton Bowl in 2018. That's the one time we have seen it. But the concern of whether it will look good or not is more for the home uniforms. But I, <laughs> I think they would look sweet. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Cuba Puig. Getting Ohio State early is important, but if we're not physical and we don't play with discipline, it won't matter. Physicality is our only chance. We are not going to beat teams like OSU without it. I, I mean, I... I I think that's, I think that's true. I, I I think that no, I don't think Notre Dame is at a place right now, Ryan, where they can just go out athlete in Ohio State or a Clemson or a, or a Georgia or an Alabama. I think they they're going to have to all. I think that's that was the thing that made those eighty to ninety two teams or ninety three teams when they were at their best was, yeah, they had athletes and, and skill players, but they were always just going to beat you up. I mean, right. you were you you know you might beat Notre Dame back then, but you were going to walk away limping. I mean, mm-hmm. it was going to be a dog fight. And that's the one thing that I felt about last year's team, especially. That was probably the least physical Notre Dame team I've ever seen, at least under Brian Kelly. It was, you know, maybe I've blocked out some of the some of the teams before that, but just, I mean, neither side of the ball was just it was overly physical, and you know, it, it, it's also partly why I'm so excited about the season because I'm like, I know this team's gonna be physical. Because look, Ryan, here's the deal: you can't play offensive line for Harry Heastan if you're not physical. And you're not going to be able to survive playing defensive line at Notre Dame if you're not physical because you're just going to get smacked in the mouth every practice because you're going against a Harry Heaston offensive line. So I anticipate at least in the trenches for them to be physical. But, yes, I agree. I I think if, if you look at the two teams who, – who beat Ohio State last year, Ryan? Two teams that just came into Columbus or, or and then hosted – Oregon went into Columbus and was at mm-hmm. Michigan – but both of those teams just came out early and just punched Ohio State right in the mouth in the especially, especially Michigan, especially yeah. Michigan. They, I mean, they, I mean, they could not stop us on Haskins. It was, it was just early and often. And I agree. I, I think, I think that the wide receiver, cornerback, like the skill position deficiencies that Notre Dame's had at times in the past, like that's what that's the where the gap is trying to be closed, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want to be closer or at even with those types of teams. But like the reality is. Notre Dame probably has the advantage on the defensive and offensive line, in my opinion, over Ohio State. The advantage that they have right now is that you know Jackson Smith and Jigba is a dude. You know Tra- mm-hmm. Travion Henderson is a dude. You know Marvin Harrison Jr. is extremely talented. You know, uh, let's see, Abuka, Abuka is the other receiver. I forget his name. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. Emeka, yeah. and then they also have Julian Fleming, who was like mm-hmm. a five-star by a some, lot of the They got profiles. some freshmen coming in that can play too. Caleb Brown. Exactly. That, you got that uh, Koji kid, the, the cat from Arizona. I think I forget his name. He's a really good player. Caleb Bird from Texas is a good player. I think he's a tad overrated. I love Grimes. I think is the kid's name from uh, Graves. Graves is the kid coming in from Arizona that I love. Reminds me a ton of Chris Olave, like mm. a like really good route runner, like not an elite athlete, but but plays that way because he's such a good route runner and all those kind of things. And so yeah, I. I, uh, I, they're going to be loaded out on the perimeter. There's no you, you, you don't want to get into a, a back and forth shootout with Ohio mm-hmm. State. Like, you don't want to get into a seven on seven contest no. with them. You have to, you have to beat them up. And I mean, one thing I'll say about CJ Stroud, fantastic player. I just watched him the other day, though, Brian, a little peek into next year's class. Mm-hmm. The kid can get some happy feet in the pocket, yeah. man, if you get, if you get some pressure on him. So I, I've had some people bring that up to me. And, and, and I said, you know, we'll find out in the opener if that's an issue. But I, I, I kind of chalk that up to the fact that the kid was a redshirt freshman who literally had never thrown a pass in college. I mean, you Same. know what I mean? Like, and I don't, and I think, I think he had a little bit of the same issue that Jack Cohn had last year, who was a fifth year senior that when your offensive line isn't as trustworthy as they need to be, 
especially if for young kids, you, you know, you're going to, you're going to have that sometimes, but we're, that's something that's the biggest flaw in this game. And, and that's also why some of those teams that were able to physically beat because what people forget is Oregon, you know, beat Ohio state up in the trenches defensively as well without Kayvon Thibodeau. And they were missing one of their line, one of their better linebackers in that game too. Not Noah soul. The Sewell, the other kid, Flow, just he yeah. didn't play in that game either. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, you look at it and say, boy, you know, you, you've got to win in the trenches. So, I think Cuba is is on point here. I think that Notre Dame, they can't just be physical, right? Like you're not going to grind it out and beat them 24 to 21. It's just not going to happen. You're going to what it is, Ryan, is you're going to have to have enough skill to hang with them early, but then physically beat wear them down to where in the late and third quarter, fourth quarter, you've worn their offensive line out. And now Foskey and Mills and the Adamiolas and Cross and you know the the you know Tyson Ford and and Josh Burnham or Jordan Patelho or Alex, whoever they're throwing at him on the defensive line. Yeah. It's like, you know, those waves are starting to get to him and you just wear them down. And that's when you get those big sacks. That's kind of what Notre Dame did to Clemson in 2020 when they beat him in the regular season is by the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, Clemson's offensive line was worn out and they just couldn't block, you know, mm-hmm. in overtime, they just couldn't block Dalen yeah. Hayes and, and uh, Adi Takumba Ogundiji. And that wasn't a super, super physical front seven. So that to me is going to be the big key. And I think that's why, again, Ryan, why I think it's so important that Harry Heastan came back because Harry Heastan just does not, doesn't just impact your offensive line. He impacts your defensive line because you, you have to compete every day if you're going to survive practice at Notre Dame because Harry Heastan's group, they're going to have to perform because if they don't play hard, they're going to have that old guy right up there, you know what's, and you don't want that. So well, it, I, it's I, important. I think that there's advantages on both sides for the each offense, right? I mean, we talk a lot about Notre Dame's cornerbacks potentially matching up, matching up against those wide receivers, and it's a fair criticism because even if Cam Hart has a fantastic game against, if he's matched up against Smith and Jigba a ton, Smith and Jigba is still going to get his right. Like he's going to make plays. I mean, he's he's going to be he's a potential first round pick next year. Like he's going to make some plays. Notre Dame though also has a clear advantage when we're talking about running backs, slot receivers tight ends, Michael Mayer against their linebackers and their safeties. Like there is a clear advantage there too. It's I think it's going to really come down to the fact of like, Hey, I think that Notre Dame has a chance to out physical them, but they also need to take advantage. They need to take more advantage of where they have the advantage over where Ohio state, you're not going to neutralize them, but I mean, let's not undersell the fact that like Michael Mayer against steel chambers and a couple of these other linebackers that did not play well last year is a clear advantage for Notre Dame too. So Notre Dame has some advantages on the offensive side of the football too. That's why I think it's going to be a very competitive game. Yeah. Although I had an ESPN article up today that uh, look, this is why Marcus Freeman has to win these games that Brian Kelly couldn't. And it's not a shot on Brian Kelly. I mean, it is, but it's not like a cheap shot. It's just, the perception of Notre Dame is uh, this is what the article said. So Notre Dame was ranked fifth in the FBI, FPI, Football Power Index. It's not the S and P Plus or whatever that nonsense is. It's it's their Football Power Index, and you know. So then they they have the ranking, which they were 16th going into last year. They finished the year sixth. So I mean, that's a respectful ranking. I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. But then you read the words of the writers, and they're like, there's a bigger gap between four and five, Clemson and Notre Dame, than there is between five and 19. You know, and it's just kind of like, okay, it's that continued smack in the face. But look, that's going to continue until Notre Dame shuts them up. And that's the reality of it, right? And this is the kind of game that can be that kind of game, Ryan. Uh, so, you know, but I think there's an assumption that I just want, 
let that spread be over 10 points. You know, keep running, keep talking all that stuff about Notre Dame can't hang with Ohio State. I can't wait to see all the times Notre Dame players read that stuff and see that stuff. It's going to be, it's going to be a big, 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 big key. John Murray with a question. Would you guys agree that tackling success goes a long way towards defensive efficiency? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Get the guys yes. on the ground. You're, you're, you're. Yes. Potential is going to be at higher. Absolutely, John. No I mean, doubt about it. And we talked about this earlier, John. John asked this kind of question early in the show, and and, and we talked about this. Like, just a, a perfect example is is you look at the North Carolina game. If Notre Dame just tackled when they arrived at a ball carrier, that game is never close. It's never competitive. Yeah. Because there were so many places Sam Howe made after contact to extend drives that Notre Dame would have won that game by 30. And Notre Dame blows Oklahoma State out if they just would have tackled well, because it would have been twenty-eight to seven, if not more. Because when when if JD when JD Bertrand had a chance to make that first down sack, if they force a three and out, Notre Dame might get the ball back with enough time to try something. And at that point in time, Oklahoma State had no answers for Notre Dame's offense, none. You know, so you're talking maybe 31, 35, 7. Instead, it's 28-14. Oklahoma State gets the ball to start the third quarter, and they go down. And next thing you know, it's 28-21. And it all started with an, a, a, what should have been a sack in the backfield that would have killed that drive. And, you know, so, yeah, John, I, I think that's huge. I think we talked about needing to get more tackles for loss. You know, Ryan, the thing we talked about right before you joined the show was, you know, Notre Dame as a, from a pass rushing standpoint last year was right where, you, you know, about right where you want to be. You know, there were 41 sacks and only 13 games. You know, maybe you could add four or five more to your total, but, I mean, and they, they only had one guy with more than five. I mean, that means your team was really good at rushing the quarterback. But they only had 82 tackles for loss, which is an absurdly low number when you consider how many sacks they had. You need to be like in that 60 run stop range, you know, because mm-hmm. run stops and then adding on to the 40 sacks gets you to over 100. Well, that is a lot of that. I mean, just tackling better. Just the all think of all the missed opportunities Notre Dame had last year for for stops in the backfield. Just tackling better, just if that's the only improvement they make, makes Notre Dame a much better defense in a lot of ways next season. Yeah. Well, offenses have become more and more predicated on creating space and then creating after the catch. Like, if, I think back to even the Alabama game a couple of years ago, Brian. I mean, if they're able to stop Najee Harris on that outside run, right? That that uh, what's his name got that got hurdled over on that play. The McLeod, Nick McLeod, got hurdled over, or those perimeter screens. That's what was killing them. Was Devonta Smith on those perimeter screens? Just those little bubbles, man. If you just make the tackle in space, they can have three to four on those plays. That's fine. But how many of those plays turn into big plays or touchdowns? I mean, that's the difference for me in the in like those contests. You have to make plays. You, and you don't even have to make the flashy plays. Like I'm not saying you have to get up against Najee Harris. You have to tackle him for a three-yard loss, even though they had a potential to do it yeah. on that play because they stringed it perfectly. But I mean, the my point line is line on that play, Ryan. If you go back and watch, mm-hmm. I just want to draw this up for people as you continue to explain it. The defensive line took Alabama's offensive line and drove them about th- two, three yards into the backfield. And Drew White's coming on a perfect angle to make that, and he just gets he just gets blocked. And then Nick McLeod yeah. whiffs. So please continue, but I just wanted to, yeah. you know, that's why it's tackling is so important because the D line did their job on that play and really did it the whole game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt Alabama, I felt Notre Dame's defensive line clearly outplayed Alabama's offensive line in that in that Rose Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it was across the board. I thought Jason and Malol dominated them honestly in the reps that he had. I mean, I would I would say, I mean, it's it's very simple. It's very simple that play. 
that's the biggest difference between the game of inches that people always talk about, mm-hmm. right? And that's why length matters. And it, all due respect, because Drew White was a good football player for Notre Dame, there's no doubt. But if he has just a little more length to him, maybe a little more lower body strength, he's able to kind of press and take on contact and get through contact, navigate it a little better. There's a big difference between Najee Harris getting stopped for a one or zero yard gain, or he breaks that 50 yard, whatever it was, play in, on that on that play. So th- those are the differences to me. It's like it's also like the big the other play that I think about is the Sean Sean Crawford coming inside out against Devonta Smith on the bubble. Right, Sean Crawford is a very talented athlete, but he's also five foot eight. Right, like he doesn't have length. That's why Notre Dame. Because people ask, what are the differences in recruiting? And I will say this every every day. They're trying to get longer everywhere. Right. They're trying to get more rangy everywhere because those things matter. There are differences yeah. between a one-yard gain and a 60-yard touchdown sometimes. Right. It's just the facts of it. Right. And, you know, even even like in that game, the, the, the Rose Bowl, I mean, there was a play where they called a perfect blitz, and I think Maris comes through, and he's got Mac Jones dead to rights, and he just spins out and runs for a couple yards. Again, that's a that's a drive. That, that means now Bama's selling for a field goal instead of going down and getting a touchdown. That all leads into what John's original point was, is that's about efficiency. Because if you're a more efficient defense, that means you're forcing more, you're either you're forcing them into more uncomfortable situations. More uncomfortable situations means more stops, not just through punts, but also turnovers. Because an offense has a lot less in its arsenal on third and nine than it does on third and two. And and especially when you've got Isaiah Foskey and Jason Adamiola rushing the quarterback. Right. And Justin Adamiola, because that Justin Adamiola was a, was a pain in the you-know-what for teams on third down last year. I mean, you know, but that's the thing. The Adamiolas, too, both of them, they got to tackle better. Like that, you know, the, it, it was all three levels last year. And, and so it, uh, you know, it, it's it's an, it's an a it certainly has something to get better. And, and I truly believe this, Ryan, if that's the only part of the defense that gets better this year, they will be a better defense than they were last year. Like yeah. By a decent amount, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Will it be good enough to beat Ohio State? No, no. They have to make other improvements, but from an overall standpoint is what I mean. I mean, even the game against Clemson, when what was it, Trevor Lawrence was a freshman, right? Like, how many times did he just break a tackle or spin out of a sack in those games? Like, those are the game things that we're talking about, being able to finish plays and get them to the ground. Like, it is a huge concept. I mean, that's why defensive coordinators are always harboring on the tackle circuits and let's get the guy to the ground and those types of things. Like, it matters. This game really is a game of inches, as cliche as it sounds. Mm Mm-hmm. 99 problems, but BK ain't one. Let's say the team hits a few bumps in the road early in season, either because of injury, scheme adjustment, whatever. Do you think Marcus Freeman have the discipline to let Golden see the D through it? I do, because we saw it. I mean, I was waiting on him to just, like, snatch the the play call sheet out of Mike Ellison's hands and just start calling plays, right? I mean, in, in the bowl game. And, and uh, no, I think he will. And, look, Marcus Freeman – the one thing I know about him, there's a lot of things we don't know about him as a head coach. I mean, look, we can all be excited about what he's going to do, but at the end of the day, none of us really truly knows, and that's true of anything that's not proven. One thing I do know about him, though, is he's a very disciplined human being, and and he is a very – because we saw it with – the other word we saw is we saw it the defense last year. Even through the first two games they were, they were pan- when they were making mistakes, there was no panic. It was keep – hammering keep hammering away because it's gonna it we're gonna figure it out after the second game a less disciplined coach a less emotionally and mentally mature coach would have said boy we can't we got maybe we got change we got to make changes 
and he didn't. It was, no, what we're doing is right. We've got to execute better. We've got to stick to it. And if we start changing now, then we're back to square one. And they stuck with it, and then all of a sudden the defense starts rolling. So I, I do think that he will have the discipline to let Golden see the defense through it, in my opinion. Well, I, th- I think the reason that he wanted to target such an experienced coach, right, is that he does he doesn't want to micromanage every little part of it. Like, obviously, it's going to be a part of his beliefs and his philosophy. But I I, I think that if he, if this was just a, a a short leash type of situation, he probably hires a younger coach, right, where it's more easy to kind of take him out of his spot and be like, okay, I got this. Take a mm-hmm. seat back, right? Like, I don't think you hire Al Golden, who's been coaching so long, if you just want to micromanage 50s, everything. Who's been, exactly. who's been a 10-year head coach, was at the University of Miami for five years, and is come and is just coming from the Super Bowl. Yeah, Ryan, you don't bring him in to give him two, two, three games, and then you take control. That would that would be completely against what Marcus Freeman's character has been up to this point in time. So um yeah. Yeah, it'll 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 be interesting. It'll be interesting for sure. Toe Jam, 1992. How many games will it take for the defense to get its foot under it with the new system? Last year did not seem to click until the Purdue game. I wouldn't necessarily – I still wouldn't call this a new system, though. I think it's just um, some new wrinkles and some adjustments on how they're going to go about their business with the new system. I don't – I mean, we said they've made – they're making call changes and things like that, but I I don't – and here's here's the other thing, too. I don't think the the change, right, from Freeman to Golden – is going to be as stark as it was from Lee to Freeman. Because I think Freeman and – here's the difference. Freeman and Lee have completely different philosophies on being successful on defense. Lee and – I mean, Freeman and from what we're hearing about what the defense is going to look like under Al Golden, again, this is just what we're hearing. I have no clue what Al Golden – he hasn't called a defense since 2005, right? But what we're hearing about what we've seen in practice, it sounds like what he believes in is very much in line with Marcus Freeman believes in. It's just going to kind of go about that belief a little differently, right? It's kind of like, you know, when 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 Brian Kelly kind of let Tommy Reese finally do the offense the way he wanted to do it, they didn't all of a sudden implement 75 new plays. They just started focusing on things they already had a little more. And the philosophy was different. Uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, but it was still the same principles. It'll be this will be the same. The, the philosophy was the same, but the way it went about their business and from an execution and that kind of, obviously had to change. And, and so, to me, I think that's what we're going to see more so. Where it was a complete overhaul, philosophically, structurally. I mean, it was practice wise. It was a big change from Clark Lee to Marcus Freeman. I don't anticipate that as much. Plus, as we said earlier, Ryan, here's another piece of that. Last year, there were way more unknowns on defense, in my opinion, than what you have this year. Way more unknowns. We didn't know what Foskey was going to be. It was Jason Adamiola's first time as a starter. How was Myron Tungvaloa going to handle playing in, on the end? You know, Maris Lufau goes down. We don't know what J.D. Berjan can do. Cam Hart's talented, but we don't know what he's got. I have no clue what's going to happen opposite Kyle Hamilton at safety. You know, I mean, there's so many – how's Jack Kaiser going to handle replacing Jeremiah? There were so many unknowns about the defense going in last year, and you were completely overhauling your philosophy. So, yeah, it makes sense why there were some bumps in the road. And, and again, the first two games, the defense had a lot of good moments the first two games. It gave up too many big plays. That was the problem. You know, it wasn't like Florida State just consistently moved the ball up down the field a little bit in the second half when because they took their foot off the gas. You know, but like Toledo, Toledo had two big plays. That was really it. I mean, two big plays and Notre Dame turnovers. I mean, that was really the problem. But 
it was once they eliminated those is when you started to started to see the defense play a lot better. So and I think a lot of those big plays, Ryan, were because of the they were making a dramatic philosophical change on defense with a lot of unknowns. This year they're not making a, a, a big change, and there's a lot more knowns on this defense. Right, right. I mean, I mean, it said perfectly. It's it's not a defensive change. It's just there's going to be some new wrinkles that are thrown in. So there might be some adjustment to those wrinkles early, Toe Jam. But I, I agree with Brian in the sense that I don't think that it's a major overhaul. So I don't think it's like a multiple games to figure it out type of thing. I think it's just, you know, you're ironing out some things that are going to be on top of the defensive structure that was already in place. So I, I don't think that there's going to be a dramatic shift. I don't think there's going to be a test period. I don't, I don't think that that's going to exist as much because it's still – principally the is principally a word it, it, in principle it is still the same defense i think i made a word up so that no was fun. it's cool i'm totally i'm all for it i'm all for it i love making words up i also will note that notre dame has 13 players just off the top of my head marking down guys notre dame has 13 players who have started games in their careers so not all at notre dame because i'm counting brandon joseph and that'll grow more in the fall when when, when chris smith shows up the tackle from harvard so this is a much more experienced defense. That's the funny part is Brian Kelly kept making excuses for how young the offense was. The defense was far more inexperienced than the offense was, and they were still better than the offense was for most of last year. So we expect that to change a little bit. Rob Osgood said, based upon what I have read about the defense, in my opinion, it, it, it is, it, is it's going to be more of an attacking defense compared to those in the past. Am I right or am I looking at it wrong? I don't think it's I don't think you're wrong at all Rob. I just think it's the circumstances. I think last year's defense was pretty aggressive, but they were limited in how aggressive they could be for a, several things. Number 1, there were some issues in the secondary. They didn't have enough. They didn't when you don't have linebackers that can cover against the pass, it is really hard to be a heavy blitz team. Cuz you have to have linebackers that can cover, and they didn't last year. And and there was there was there were just some things about the team last year that made it harder for Marcus Freeman to be as aggressive as he wanted to be. So it, it'll be more aggressive uh, and more of an attacking defense. But I but I think that it, it'll be in a more it'll be more of an aggressive defense. I don't think it'll be more of an attacking defense. I think is is where I would is is kind of the the maybe that's a nitpick, Ryan. But I think last year's defense was an attacking defense. I just think they were limited on some of the aggressiveness that they wanted to do because mm-hmm. of some of their personnel shortcomings or injuries or other things uh, that I don't think are going to be the problem this year because you have Maris coming back, because Cam Hart's going into year two, because of some other factors. I think they'll be free to be a little bit more aggressive this year. I don't think the philosophy of being an attacking defense is, is, is any different than it was last year. No, I mean, again, in principle, it's the same defense. Rob, my, my answer is I'll let you know when I can see if they can play man-to-man coverage. Like that is what Marcus Freeman's defense is built upon. Yeah. You can blitz out of zone looks. You can do it. But blitzing in man is just so much easier fundamentally, man. So last year, we know Cam Hart was a good football player. We know the cornerback on the other side was not nearly as, as strong a spot. We know that there were some mishaps at safety at times out of position. We know that the linebackers weren't able to run always with slots. And I mean, even though it's very difficult tight ends and do some things in different pass coverage. So in theory, Notre Dame should be more athletic on the second level this year. Cornerback opposite Cam Hart, you would think is going to be better in what be some capacity. Exactly. The same guys. It's, it's, it's not going to be worse. Exactly. So 
you would hope that somebody would take a step forward and that position would be better than it was last year. So in theory, if all those things come true, Rob, yes, I think it will be more aggressive defense. You'll see more blitz looks because I think they'll be more confident in their ability to play man. And again, that is what Marcus Freeman's defense is at Cincinnati and just structurally are built off of. Now, we talked earlier in the show, Ryan, before you joined, one of the things that we're hearing is they are going to mix up their coverages more this year because I think they know they can't just line up and play man all game. I think, however, that if you are willing to mix up your coverages more, it will then make you more effective in man when you're at when you at when you ask your guys to do it. I think the problem last year is they asked Cam they asked not Cam Hart, they asked Clarence Lewis to play too much man, and he's just not that guy. You ask him to mix up man looks with some other things. That's where I think Clarence could really thrive because I think he is good at driving downhill and playing zones and things like that. So. But at some point in time, as you said, you have to be able to play man. And I think they're in a position now to do it. I'm going to say something else that, that people are, may take the wrong way. I think Notre Dame also is going to be far more athletic at safety to start the season than they were to start last season. And that's not a shot at Kyle Hamilton because I don't give a crap what Kyle Hamilton ran at a combine. Kyle mm-hmm. Hamilton was an incredibly athletic safety of football. I'm talking about the other guys because – you, you didn't have Ramon Henderson to start at safety last year. You didn't have Xavier Watts at safety to start the season last year. When you add Brandon Joseph, Ramon Henderson, Xavier Watts to this def- secondary and compare it to where they were after Kyle Hamilton last year, it's a big difference. Because last year you would argue that maybe, D- maybe Houston Griffith was your second best athlete at safety. Now he's – Fourth, fourth, yeah, at, right? at best fourth, yeah, and that's mm-hmm. a good, that's a good thing. That's not a shot at Houston. That's a good thing because now you don't have to put Houston in situations. You can now play to his strengths more, you know, than, than maybe you did in the past. Because you, if you need someone to go cover man, you know, like mm-hmm. Florida State, they were putting Houston down in the slot in this in the boundary and ask him to play man against a slot receiver, and that's not you just that's unfair to Houston. You shouldn't ask him to do things that you know he's not good at. But if you need to be able to do that, put Ramon Henderson down there. Put Xavier Watts down there. Put Brandon Joseph down there. And now you have guys that can match up a little bit better than than maybe they could before. You, you've created depth. And I think that that's the big thing with any really good team that we've seen historically is that there's usually depth involved, especially defensively, man. Like that Georgia team last year, Brian, it's like you take a guy out of the football game and then who's this next freak that's coming onto the field? Like it's just silly stuff. The linebacker position – I mean, Channing Tindall didn't start a single game for Georgia last year. He's probably going to get drafted in the top four rounds just because he's a four-five-one athlete at 230-plus pounds on the bench. Like, they just had waves of guys last year. And, again, Houston Griffith as a third to fourth safety, that's pretty good, man. That's <laughs> not a bad place to be in. Here's an interesting one, Ryan, I want you to address. Brian, B. Ryan and Vince, if applicable. I love that. Tommy knows that sometimes, depending on when this question is going to get answered, Vince may not be around. Will we get an accurate gauge on how good our defense will be after game one? I, I know my answer. I want to hear what yours is. Yes, I, I think so. Because I think we, we already talked about it. I don't think there's this, this huge time period of figuring out, you know, if the you know, I don't think there's this big acclimatization period of like, oh, let's get used to this new defense. Like, it's the same defense, new wrinkles brought in, and you're playing against the best offense that you're going to see on the schedule. Even though it's their first game, I mean, again, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Travion Henderson, Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison Jr., they got dudes everywhere, man. So, yeah, I think that if you if they come out and they have a strong showing against Ohio State team, I think you can get a lot of it, Tommy. I think that it's very telling, and I think it's a good gauge. Is it the absolute gauge? 
Obviously not. Like you need a few more games than that, but I think that you get a very accurate gauge if they're able to come out against Ohio State and have a good showing. I I do. Yeah. My answer is no. Oh. And the reason is Ryan is just because it's just my it's just how I feel. I I never feel like one game at the beginning defines who you're going to be. And to me, it's can you string that together? A perfect example is the year that Ohio State won a national championship. Virginia Tech shut them down, right? Held them to 21 points, held them to 327 yards of offense, 4.7 yards per play. Well, Virginia Tech went four and six that or seven and six that year. Why? Because they gave up a you know 28 points and 502 yards and seven yards of play the next week in a loss to East Carolina. You, you know what I mean? Like that's my thing, is Ryan. I think everything you said is accurate. It's just for me. I'm not a believer in something until I see it more than once, right? That's my thing. So I think that if they play really well against Ohio State, it's going to get me excited, and I'm going to have to tempt. I'm going to have to tempt that, tamp that down a little bit because my my philosophy is give me some give me some string of success. And and, and again, I go back to 2014. If Brian Van Gorder would have left after the fourth game of his first year at Notre Dame, we would have a much different opinion on Brian Van Gorder's coaching ability than by the end of that season. Because once people get some film on you and what you know Al Golden's tendencies are from a blitz standpoint, a coverage standpoint, like to your point, the defense isn't going to change, just some some wrinkles, but those wrinkles could could result in a in a pick six in the second quarter that when teams get some film down the road may not work as well. So I, I agree with what you said as far as the overall philosophy. Completely agree. It's just for me, and I think this is more of an individual thought that people can have. I don't care. I don't care if they beat Ohio State by thirty in the opener. Am I going to be feeling really good about how good this team can be? Yeah. If they go lay an egg the next three weeks against Cal, Marshall, you know, Cal or Marshall, Cal, and North Carolina, and lose to North Carolina on the road, then it doesn't matter if they beat. Ohio State by 30. It's can you can you do it consistently? That's going to be the key for me. But I'm not going to lie, if they play really well and keep Ohio State down and win that game, you know, my emotions may cause me to say things the exact opposite of what I'm saying right now right after the game. I'm just going to I'm going to be honest with you. So there's there's no doubt. Here we go, Ryan, over under from Tommy Guns of sacks for Isaiah Foskey, 11 and a half. I'm going to say over. I'm going to say over. I'll say I'll say 12 is a good number for him. It's again, it, it's right around the same that he did last year. I think that there's going to be a little more added attention, but I also think that Jason Jason Amalola is going to take his game up his notch. I think Justin, I think Riley Mills mixing in. I think there's just going to be a little. I, I think it's going to be a little harder to just put full attention on Isaiah Foskey. So I'll, I'll say I'll say over on the 11 and a half. I'm going to say under. Mm-hmm. The reason I say that is I think Isaiah Fossey is going to be a better player this year. Mm-hmm. I think if you were to tell me, if you were to set like a tackles for loss at like 14, I, you know, 13 and a half, I'd say take the over, but I'm going under on the sacks because I think that number one, he's going to be allowed to play on the edge more this year, not as much dropping in coverage. I think the reason I'm going to go under is I think he's going to be a more disruptive player. I think what's going to happen is teams are going to be forced to put so much attention on him that he's then going to his his presence is then going to result in everybody else getting more sacks. So I think the team is going to get more sacks. I think last year they had two guys that were had more than five sacks. It was Justin Adamiola and Isaiah Foskey. My prediction this year is going to my over under that would be more intriguing. Ryan is the number of guys with at least five sacks, and and the over under being like four and a half. And I'm definitely taking the over. So I think Foskey will be more impactful. 
But if I had to bet now, I'd go the under. Now, would I be shocked if it's over? No, he's that good. It's just that I think that I, I think if he does go over Ryan, it's because he just put, has a monster November because of what I just said. Because after a while, people are like, look, we can't just keep doubling him because we're getting killed by Riley Mills and Jason Adamiola and Justin Adamiola and Howard Cross and Maris Lewifau. And I think Maris is a big reason why I don't think Isaiah will get to more than 11 and a half too. Because again, I think as you slot, they're going to be on the same side a lot on first and second down. Mm-hmm. And if you're sliding that protection and you're focused on Isaiah Foskey, you, you may miss number eight kind of flying through there a little bit more. And then there's also going to be times where you try to spin out away from Isaiah Foskey Who's coming down behind you, behind him? It's going to be Marist. And, and so I'm going to go under on the sacks for him, but I think it's going to, but I think he's actually going to be a better player. Can I, can I give you an over under? Can I give yeah. you a real quick one? Different one. Marist Loyfell sacks five and a half. I know my answer. I know my answer. I'm probably, I'd probably go under there too. I just feel so? like the sacks are going to be spread. Sp- like sack, because see, to me, sacks are, are can sometimes be a very misleading stat to how impactful you are. Like I feel like there's just going to be a thing where Maris is going to come off the edge, and after he gets two or three sacks early in the year, quarterbacks are just going to start stepping right away from him into Riley Mills, into Jason Adamiola, into Howard Cross. That's that's my thing, and so uh, you know, I the, I guess my unders on these numbers, Ryan, are, and I take it your yours is over because of the way you responded. I think I think for me it comes down to my philosophy on how I view sacks. Mm-hmm. That I think sacks can sometimes be a a a, a sort of a um, what's the right word, word I'm looking for? Not not always the best gauge for just how disruptive somebody is as a pass rusher. Not as indicative. Yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. Right. Because because of a lot of factors, you know. If I'm freaked out about Isaiah Foskey and Maris Luf, I'm just throwing quick game all game. Right. I'm not. They got no sacks now. We shut, held them to three points, and we had this, and we did that because they were worried about it. You know, looking at it from a defensive coaching standpoint, but we didn't have any sacks. They spent the whole game double team and Isaiah. He got zero sacks, but we ended up having eight as a team because you know they were. We knew they were going to slide to Isaiah every single play, so we just started bringing double fires off the field. Right? I mean, you know what I mean. So like, that's where a guy like Isaiah can have a huge impact, even when he's not getting his, so to speak. And so that's kind of where I'm at. I just, I think they're going to be better pass rushing team this year. I think that it's going to manifest itself more as opposed to Isaiah being like a 14, 15 sack guy, which I would love to be wrong on that. Cause if he goes over, that means he's going to have a monster year because if he goes over, I don't think the other, uh, the other number changes. Like, I don't think the other guys getting, I just think it's Notre Dame's going to have 50 plus sacks next year. Right. Which would be a great thing. I could just see them just being more of it of, of it spreading the wealth because teams are so focused on not letting Isaiah beat them. So that's kind of my it's fair my stamp on that. Uh, Rob O'Mara asks, any word mm-hmm. on where Braylon James is committing to next week? Rob, we are we, we just that that's not how we roll, right? I mean, this is Braylon's moment. We will carry the commitment ceremony live. And we will break it all down for you afterwards, but that's just not our thing. This is Braylon's news and Braylon's moment to share. So, um, you know, we have said for months that we felt Notre Dame was in a great position and nothing's changed on that. But in regards to, you know, telling you where or, or anything beyond just the great job Notre Dame has done, this is Braylon's moment. And and we're just, we're just never going to be that, 
that company, especially in like in a public non paywall situation where we're just going to, well, we're going to really put that, but uh, you know, just be ready to tune into that show next Tuesday. I just got to thank Nick Papel for this. He says, bump BK. The only Brian of importance is Brian Driscoll. Go Irish, my man. Way to suck up. I appreciate it very, very, very much. Irish one says, I know at the first Notre Dame game watch, I will shout out this site. Everyone who has Notre Dame game watches in their city should do the same. I agree completely. Ryan, the reason that these comments were made at the very beginning of the show is I announced to everybody that we went over 2,000 subscribers today. Yeah, that's awesome. Very, very. And Ryan knew we were getting close. We were talking Mm -hmm. about that last night, but we went over this morning. So appreciate you all. Yeah, absolutely. Jim Haller and Brian and Vince. Now, Ryan, do you think (laughs) Golden will sacrifice the personnel strength four down for the sake of being multiple? Uh, No, I mean. Well, I mean, it's going to be multiple because that's just how the defense is designed. But I mean, it's be multiple not... within a four-down defense. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not. I mean, I mean, the answer is no. Like, I, I think that a smart defensive coordinator is going to stay within what gives them the chance. I mean, this is just a coaching thing in general. Like, you don't stray away from things that are making you successful. So, I don't think he's going to go, man. We're really playing well in this in this four-down front. I want to be different though, and and just shake things up. Like, you you stick to things that make you successful. So, no, mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't think that it's just going to be like, oh no, I need to stay multiple. I think he's going to do whatever makes him successful. Yeah. Here's a question from T. This I don't th- don't recognize this person. I think this might be a new listener. TB speaks life. Who are Notre Dame's toughest games this year? They always have a challenging schedule. I think the obvious ones are Clemson and Ohio State. I think there's a couple sneaky games on the schedule too, Ryan. That we we've talked about BC. We both BYU. think BC is going to be a tough game. BYU is going to be a physically tough game. Playing mm-hmm. them away from home is is never easy. Uh, obviously USC might be. We just don't know with USC. I'm going to tell you a team that I think. And and I and I think you're going to disagree with me on this one. I'm 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 going to say that first because I want to know whether I'm surprised or not. I actually think this is going to be the best North Carolina team Notre Dame has played in the last three years. And here's why I say that. Here's why I say that. Because I thought two years ago they had a great offense that was wasted by a bad defense. Last year they had a lot of young and up and coming players. The offensive line took a step back. The defense was abysmal. And I thought they put way too much on Sam Howell's shoulders. You can't do that this year. Criswell is going to be young, whether the freshman that came in had a great spring from people I've talked to, you're going to have to get back to, I think Phil Longo went away from his roots a little bit last year, which is he wants to run the football. He is one of those air raid coaches that wants to run the football. And I think that because you don't have Sam Howell to kind of rely on, I think sometimes you can hurt yourself because you know you have to score every time you touch the ball. Their defense isn't going to be phenomenal this year, but they're going to be better. They gave up 32 points a game last year on defense. That's abysmal. They drop it down to 25. I think this is going to be a better team. I think they're going to run the ball well, a lot better this year. I think you've got some weapons that I really like on offense, and I think they're going to have a quarterback situation that that they're just not going to put as much on that guy's shoulders and, and just the offense in general. So I actually think this is going to be the best team North Carolina's faced. Not the best offense that Notre Dame has faced from North Carolina, but the best team. Mm. And it's going to be on the road. So that's and, and it's in a non-COVID offseason year, which is what happened last time. I think this is going to be the best North Carolina team that Notre Dame has faced in the last since in the last really the last 10 years. Because the 2017 North Carolina team was garbage. <laughs> but I think you're going to disagree with that. So so let me hear let me hear your thoughts on that. It's an interesting take. It's interesting. I'm, you have me thinking, which is a good good start, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good start. I mean, 
<laughs> I could have just been like, nope, that's dumb. Yeah, that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think uh, – I mean, they made a change in defensive coordinator, right? Mm-hmm. Jay Bateman's out now. So, I mean, yeah, who's that, awful. Should, that should be a addition by subtraction in, in that situation. So, I can buy into the defense being better because I do think there was some talent. Yeah. Um, and I, they, I mean, they I, had a really good freshman-sophomore group of players. Yeah. Like Grimes is going to be a junior Grimes now. Those player. D linemen that they recruited are going to be sophomores and juniors now. Miles, and, Miles Murphy right. and Fox is, I right. think, is back. And yeah, right. I, I can get there. I just think the offense is going to kind of sputter a little bit, yeah. like at times. I mean, I, I Josh Downs is a great football player. He absolutely is. Mm-hmm. I know they have a couple quarterbacks that they're excited about, like you said, but. I mean, I know the offensive line wasn't bad last year, but I thought they lost their best offensive lineman in Joshua Azuda mm-hmm. to this offseason. So I just don't know if the, if the talent level is going to be great at the skill position. So I don't think their offense is going to be great. But I can buy into the defense being a little yeah. better. But Which, again, what I said, best team that they will that they will from North Carolina that they will face and that that's because mm-hmm. they're going to have they're going to have pass catchers, right? I mean, like you said, Josh Downs comes back. Uh, you know, Emory Simmons, I believe, comes back. They've got tight ends that have come back and have played. They got some young receivers that I that are stepping up. Um, I just I, and I, and I thought they landed some guys. They have a freshman running back coming in, George Petway, that I think is going to be a really good number two back for them this year. Uh, you know, and, and and Ty Chandler to me was a system runner. I mean, he, to me, he wasn't a really a great player. He he got his from the system, right? And I really think that you're going to see Phil Longo go back to kind of being a more balanced offense. And I think they're going to. They're going to have some good backs, in, in my opinion. They're going to have some talent in the backfield. And I think Jacoby Criswell is a more natural runner than Sam Howell, which is going to add to that as well. So I think that's going to add a little dimension that we haven't seen. But it's really, to me, it's about the de- – I think the defense is going to be so much – and it's still not going to be great. Like, look, <laughs> this is going to be like an 8-4, and 9-3 and three at best North Carolina team, right? But they were 8-4 and four two years ago, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, It's not like North Carolina was an 11-2 and two team two years ago. They were 8-4 and four two years ago and lost to every good team they played. They lost to freaking Florida State for Pete's sake two years ago, right? At least Florida they, State at least, sucked. At least they ran all over Miami, though. That's, right. That's all that matters. <laughs> oh, my God. That was one of the – I mean, I don't know how Manny Diaz survived that game. I don't know. Man, Amani Carter almost retired at halftime trying to tackle Javante Williams in space. Oh, my Lord. I got What was the numbers? That, that was one of the most absurd. I think they both had over 200 yards rushing. They ran and I think it was like 554 <laughs> yards, 10.1 per carry, and six touchdowns in that game. Man. That's absurd. And you are correct. They had two running backs over 100 yards that game. Michael Carter and, and Javon Williams both went over 100. Oh, I believe went over 200. Uh, actually, Michael Carter ran for 308 <laughs> on 24 silly, carries, and Javante Williams went for 236 on 23 carries. See, That's it was stupid. it was it was Javante Williams setting up Michael Carter, though. Man, he was grinding them down, and then all of a sudden, Michael Carter just hits a crease and he's out. <laughs> See ya. That was an absurd. I thoroughly enjoyed that game. Thoroughly enjoyed that game. Uh, but I think they're going to look more like that team because I think they're going to have a quarterback that's because like they didn't run Sam Hell at all that year. I mean, Sam was and Sam this year was more. I mean, he they had some design runs for him, but like when he hurt Notre Dame, it was off of stuff like Ian Book, you know, was as a player, a scrambler more so that. So I just think this is going to be the best North Carolina team Notre Dame has played. Now, is this a game Notre Dame should still win? Yeah. There's still a significant talent gap between Notre Dame and North Carolina. But I think North Carolina is going to be a sneaky good team this year. After that, I think there's a big drop-off. I mean, big drop-off. I, I think Cal's just – what surprise, they're, they're a sneaky 
quality team from a coaching standpoint. Justin Wilcox has done a really nice job coaching there. There's not any players. Marshall, Marshall actually, you know what's funny? Marshall has some of the most, some of the best production coming back on the schedule next year. They got a quarterback that threw for a bunch of yards last year as a redshirt freshman. And their running that, back's a good player. That, was he a Ali? freshman last year? Yeah, it was a true freshman. Yeah. Like he went for like he went for over 14 last year, I believe. Mm-hmm. Charles Huff is their head coach. Notre Dame fans should remember him. He actually interviewed, he was the guy that Notre Dame wanted to hire at running backs coach when they hired Lance Taylor, but he ended up staying at Bama and then ultimately got the Marshall job. He was at Penn State for a while. Uh, so he's done a nice job so far with them. But again, it's Marshall. You you know, you know, it's Marshall's UNLV stinks. Syracuse is not very good. Although I do like Schaefer at quarterback. I think he's going to have a, a nice year this year. I think he did some nice things in the run game last year. The pass game was a hot mess. Hot mess. Yes, it was. Year. I think it's going to be a little bit better this year. He, he's a, he's that kind of kid that like, again, they're not good. I'm just for Syracuse. I think he's going to be a, he's going to be a nice player for them this year. Well, I mean, off, off the read option. Cause like you said, Schrader can run a little bit and that, that running back, Sean Tucker is a, a dude, man. He can, he can run the football and he's a really, yeah. he was a track kid too. So that dude's got some legit, I think he broke a long run against Notre Dame a couple of years ago. If I remember correctly, when he was a freshman, who was that? Uh, the running back, um, Sean Tucker. Yes, he, it was like late yeah. in the game. It was like, yeah. you know, it was like blowout time. But yeah, he made he made three Bracey fall on his face and mm-hmm. then ran past him for like an 80 yard. He ended up having a well over 100 yards that game. He had, he had a couple nice runs when the game was in doubt, but they just, Notre Dame just ate Syracuse up at the line of scrimmage. He had nowhere to go. Yeah. And so good, he had a really player. nice year last year. Really nice mm-hmm. year. They're going to, they're going to face some good running backs this year. Notre Dame is. There, there, there's some teams that can run the football. I mean, you know, Travis Dye at USC is a good running back. Uh, obviously, you know, Will Shipley in, in the backfield to have at Clemson. Ohio Pace State, too, from you know, Clemson Tra- yeah, yeah Travion yeah. Henderson, obviously. The kid from Marshall's a really good back. Sean Tucker. I think North mm-hmm. Carolina is going to have some good backs. You know, Garwo at BC is a tough kid. He's a good you runner, know? man. Yeah, he ran for like 800 yards. Kid. Actually, he ran for 1,000 yards last he go, year. He's a he went player. just over 1,000 last year, I yeah. believe, because they, yeah. they were talking. They said – the reason I know that is they were they, they said he's a 1,000-yard rusher during the BC spring game, I was like, he didn't rush for a thousand yards last year. And we looked at it and was like, yep, he ran for a thousand and forty-five last year. I, I saw him the other day too, man. He's a little bowling ball. He's not a bad yeah, little he's player. A big dude. Yeah. He's a big guy. He's not, he's yeah. not small. You know, so, so they're going to face some good, they're going to be tested in the run game a lot more than they were this year, in my opinion. And that's why it's important for them to, to be better because there, there are some teams that now I don't know. I mean, Stanford's, I mean, we were talking about this last night. It is so bizarre what has happened to Stanford. 2017, they had a running back rush for 2,000 yards. 2017, that was just, what, four years ago? (laughs) Last year, they ran for 86.8 yards per game. As a team. What? They had had 2,000-yard rushers in three seasons. McCaffrey did it in 15. Bryce Love did it in 17. And now they've become, like, the worst – power five rushing team and it's not close it, it was so bad too because me and brian were talking about it. it's like they had austin they had austin jones and nathaniel pete who are both decent little players too right. and for whatever reason their run game is just a mess right now and even their quarterback wasn't bad either mckee so it's not like you're just packing the packing the box you know what i mean like it's yeah. weird it's very it's strange very very strange very very strange situation so interesting question about there the schedule i it's weird i think there's a nice like there's a good six teams on there, right? Clemson, Ohio State, BYU, North Carolina, BC, and who who am I forgetting? Oh, and potentially USC, right? 
But after that six, because at least USC is going to have some talent, right? They're, they're not going to stink like they did last year. I just don't know if I buy the whole win the Pac-12, you know, top 10 stuff that people are saying. But to me, there's a big drop-off between the first six and the bottom six. Like, the bottom six is pretty bad, in my opinion. i say maybe, like, a couple teams that are, might be okay in the middle. You know, Marshall actually might be a decent team. But, but at, like, for, for that level, for that level, it might be decent. Meaning Notre Dame should smack them, but they may still, you know, go to a bowl game and do all that is what I mean. But after that, man, there's some bad teams. Navy stinks. Yep. You know, he stinks. <laughs> Syracuse just doesn't. I mean, I like I like Coach Babers. He, he just hasn't been able to recruit there. I mean, they just, no. they just don't have players. And the transfer well, portal has killed them. Yeah, it they, has. I'm actually shocked Tucker's still there, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Because he had the yeah. receiver leave and – Taj Harris, yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 been a, it's been a problem. It's, I mean, I guess, I guess it's partly you know you're in New York, and New York is a historically not very good state for football, right? So it's a tough mm-hmm. att- attraction, I guess. But yeah, it's it's not been great because I, I thought Babers was doing a really nice job his first yeah. couple of years, and then all of a sudden it's just nope, nothing. Because and the thing that's been weird is their offenses have been so bad. I mean, yeah. that's what he was known. I mean, he was an offensive wizard. I mean, he did some Bowling great Green, things. right? Even yeah. before that, he took Eastern Illinois to. Uh, to the wasn't he Jimmy Garoppolo's coach? Or am I may, somebody may, else? He may have been. But I'm not sure. He, they went to the uh, national semifinals at, at Eastern Illinois. Did a really nice job of Bowling Green. He had Syracuse. I mean, they almost they beat Clemson once and almost beat him again. Won ten games in 2018, and then just <laughs> came crashing down. And they just haven't been able to be good on offense. And so um, it's it's been it's been weird. It's been really weird. 99 problems of BK81. I'm always going to read that full thing. I'm just sorry. It's going to happen. Imagine if Notre Dame could get Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, Manti, and Jalen Smith on the field at the same time. They seem to be getting there with 2022 and 2023 linebacker classes. Pump the brakes. <laughs> right. Right. Three I the love best the linebackers that they've signed the last couple of years. Not yeah. one of them graded out as high as Manti or Jalen Smith. Not one of them. <laughs> Manti was a top five national player. And Jalen Smith is one of the best athletes I've ever seen at that position. So I love the excitement. I think this Notre Dame has a chance to have one of, if not the best group of linebackers in the country, if the development is there, because they're recruiting at a very high level. But you just named three of the greatest linebackers in college football the last day, last 10 to 15 years. Ever. Right. Yeah. And in yeah. one linebacking court. That's just, no, no, I'm that just, yeah, I don't see that. I, Jalen Sneed is a guy I like a lot. He's not Jalen Smith. Uh-huh. And and I love Junior Tualamaka, and I think he's got a chance to be a good player. And and I love Drake Bowen and Nolan Ziegler. And I liked Josh Burnham at linebacker. I You know, if they get Jaden Osborne, I love him. Guys, those are a couple generational players in there with Manti and Jalen. And, and I don't know if I would call Jeremiah a generational player, but he was – he. You could at least have a conversation about it. I mean, he was wow. special. He was the special. only reason I yeah. say him because it, it it did take him a while. Like where Manti and Jalen were impactful the minute they stepped foot on campus, right? It took Jeremiah three years to really get going, uh, but once he got on there, he was really really good. But yeah, no, I mean, I would just be happy if one of if these guys panned out and been to be one of those guys. I would be very happy. I mean, I very I. Happy. I, I I took it when I first read it as you're saying like stylistically, and I could I could get there a little yeah. bit because that makes sense because there's a lot of different body types, there's a lot yeah. of different play Jeremiah styles. Jeremiah yeah. is very similar body type to Jalen Sneed. Sure. Right. Manti, very similar to Junior to Alamaka. Jalen Smith and Drake Bowen, 
I mean, they're 6'2", 2-0, 2-15, plays running back in high school, really athletic. You know, similar body types, similar styles, yes. Mm-hmm. Same talent level, no. Right. No. That's just unfair. But if – I'll say this. I hope this is in two years. 99 problems BK1 is coming back being like, I told y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. I, this one is I'd love to be happy, but – I'm excited about the linebackers, but no, it's not. It's not that. Jim Halloran says, does Riley Mills have the speed? I'll let you answer this one, Ryan, because, because I mean, I've, I've talked about this one before. It's a good question. Does mm-hmm. Riley Mills have the speed to play the five technique? Yeah, no, he does. He does. I, I think the bet the best things that I like about Riley is I think Riley has good flexibility, which I think is why he can play on the edge. And I think he has good closing burst. I think that he has both those things. This is a little different than just being a true like nine tech that's playing in a little more of increased space, right? Like you're gonna be playing through a little bit of contact. You're gonna be playing through multiple. Uh, 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 you're gonna be playing through tight end tackle, like a little bit of double teams at points. So it's not as clean as just saying like this guy's a, a pure outside track rusher that's navigating space a ton, comparative to what a viper or weak side defensive end would be. So yeah, I, I think Jim, I think that he has plenty enough of athleticism to play that spot. He's got a good mix of versatility, but the the best things about him, I think, from that position are that he's got flexibility. He's got closing burst for his size. Well, I think we've seen it too. I mean, the best game he's ever had in his career was as a defensive end against Virginia last year. So uh, with what they ask him to do, now if you're going to go like and have him be like an old school Florida State DN where he's going to be pinned himself in at a 45-degree angle and attack that way, that's not what he does. But with what they ask the big end to do, yeah, I think Riley's got uh, definitely athletic enough to play that position. And Kenneth James, kids with eligibility need to be aware that the list put out by Mel Kuyper Jr. in November aren't necessarily what NFL scouts think. I believe Kevin Austin got misled by this. I, Go ahead, I, 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 I started this one because I, I actually, Kenneth, if you want to like just give me a little more context to exactly what you're saying. So you're saying the preseason list is how I'm reading this, right, Brian? Is that what you're getting out of this yeah. too? Uh, so, well, pre-draft. I mean, because he pre-draft. said November Well, November. Oh, okay, yeah. gotcha. Well, I mean, so so there is an advisory board for the NFL draft. You're allowed to submit your paperwork so that you get that you the advisory basically sends you back back a grade. It's first, second, third, or back to school grade, right? Mm-hmm. So Kevin Austin submitted his grade, and what happens is that that you have scouts that are on the advisory board. Usually, they're Blesto scouts, which are the people that go through and do junior days, and they kind of they they kind of scout for the year in advance type of situation. So they they've watched they watched Kevin Austin when he submitted to the to the advisory board as long as he did that and they sent him back a grade. So whatever they thought he was as a football player and like let's not be like Kevin Austin even though he had a great even though he had a great combine I, I still have seen him mostly in like fourth round in the mock dress, right? Which is kind of where I've been saying like third to fourth round I feel like is kind of the bucket for Kevin Austin. So yeah. I'm sure they sent the feedback and I'm sure they sent him back and gave, I think they did give him a back to school grade. He, he got he did and he he read it but the thing we have to understand about Kevin is i think Kevin's two previous years you lost a whole year because of an injury he lost another year because of suspension he realized like look you know maybe i come back and i can go higher but like i'm just i'm ready i don't think Kevin necessarily wanted to continue to be in school i think Kevin knew i don't think Kevin was misled Kenneth i think Kevin made an educated decision mm mm-hmm that led him to the NFL. I, I, I disagree with it in regards to what I think is best for him from a football standpoint, but it's not always about that. I mean, I think he was just ready to move on. I think Kevin has a, I think Kevin is misguided on who he is, 
but I don't think that has that's Mel Kuyper's fault. Uh, mm-hmm. And to a degree, I kind of like that Kevin is misguided because it means he's confident. I just hope he's not so misguided that he's unwilling to recognize where his game needs work and improve his game. That's the that's the biggest difference. If he's super confident in himself, but also is willing to take coaching, I think Kevin will be a nice pro. If mm-hmm. he's kind of doesn't take coaching and he, he never took coaching super well at Notre Dame, uh, partly because he was never really given real coaching. Uh, then, then he won't. But I'm hoping that he does because he's. I, I like Kevin. Kevin's a good kid. Yeah, I got and, no shit with Kevin. And, and I kind of skated over the Mel Kiper Jr. part. So Kenneth, when those kids make the decision, this is I've, I always say this on Twitter a ton. You need to separate the media perspective versus right. where what the advisory board tells you. Like the advisory board is the NFL, right? Like they're going to tell you what they think you are and your so, agent and exactly right, right. And you're going to have advisors right. around you, just personal advisors. So that's not where the decision-making process comes from. If, if kids are making decisions based upon what media is telling them, then they're just, they're not well advised just in right. general. So right now can a, can a something like that from a Mel Kuyper, maybe have a kid feeling a little better about himself than he should. Yeah. But there's sure. so much that happens from that moment to a kid making a decision that, he would literally have to just ignore everything else he heard because of what Mel Kuyper said. And, and, and again, and I, Mel gets a lot of crap. I enjoy Mel Kuyper. I don't, I just don't, I enjoy him because I look at it as entertainment. I don't he's Godfather, look, man. He's I don't Godfather. look at it, And he has revolutionized an industry. It's like he's done for the NFL draft what Tom Lemming did for recruiting. I have a ton of respect for him. And the thing about Mel is I always feel like whatever he says, I'm a right or wrong. I feel like I'm getting an honest opinion from him. I just don't think he's, I just have never like put a lot of stock in his evaluations, but I have a lot of respect for Mel. I do. I like Mel Kuyper Jr. He's, he's a lot of fun and he'll, and he'll stand by what he says. I mean, that's the other thing about him and he never backs down. I like people that are, I like people that aren't afraid to be wrong because what happens is, is you get people that just give these, these like evaluations where like you've covered every potential outcome in your analysis in, in an attempt to not have to, be pinned down on something. That's one of the things I like about Ryan. He'll take a very strong stance. One of the reasons I had him right for us, he'll take a very strong stance, right or wrong. He, you, you know what he thinks and what he's going to feel. And I like that about him because it's like that scene from uh, Tombstone. He reminds me of me. <laughs> Except I, I, of what, yes, I hate him. I don't I, say that one. I, so. I don't, I, I don't think I've ever been wrong though. So that's, <laughs> now, that's where we are not in this stage. Cause I know I've been wrong. Just, all you guys say, if I've said I've never been wrong, all somebody in the chat's got to say, Josh Barajas. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Mark Market Weiss, I think is what we're going to say there. Uh, or Mark at Weiss. Uh, love aggressive, love fast, don't love over pursuing. I'm okay with taking chances, but for the most part, I mainly like the focus of keeping everything in front of you on D. I, I think you're, 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 you're making some things, putting some things together here, Mark, that I don't think go together. I don't think fast aggressive equals over pursuing. With all due respect, we saw over pursuit problems in Clark Lee's defense at times, which was abs- which was the ultimate keep everything in front of you defense in Notre Dame. Mike Elko and Marcus Freeman were far more aggressive than Mark than Clark Lee. They were all very successful. They just did it different ways. I think they were all excellent defensive coordinators. He was very much a keep things in front of you kind of guy, and we still saw over pursuit from them. And so I, I don't think that these things necessarily go hand in hand, in my view. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. 
The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Oh, you want my context? I'm sorry. My my apologies. (laughs) You just said it so perfectly. Hello. (laughs) You said it so well. We should just end the show right now. I left Ryan Roberts speechless. I'm sorry. I just, I don't, I'm just so proud of myself. Well, no, no. Well, I agree with everything you said. I think from a coaching philosophy perspective, right? Being aggressive does not mean that you're going to over pursue. You're still maintaining the proper angle. In theory, you're just doing it in a different way than where a Clark Lee that you just said, or I think of the how the LA Rams did it under Brandon Staley, where they were playing a lot of off coverage. And they're just like, if you're going to score, you're going to do it in a lot of plays. And that gives you more of an opportunity to make a bad decision, right? Like we're going to make you draw out, draw out, draw out, which is a very much different conversation and ideology that I think Marcus Freeman and this staff has, right? So it's going to look a lot different than that, but to to market Weiss's point, right? I, I don't think that we can associate, and to your point also, Brian, I don't think we can associate being aggressive with playing over-aggressive, right? Like there's a huge di- difference there. No, no coach is going to sacrifice integrity, well, <laughs> in theory, are going to sacrifice integrity for being aggressive. So I agreed with you. That's why you left me speechless, all right? I agreed with you. Appreciate everybody for that little laugh. That was hysterical. So Michael Campbell said, Tobias Merriweather is saying he's taking a spot. His confidence is off the roof because he puts in the work. He believes he's going to run past a lot of people during his track speed and experience. Michael, I am very excited to see Tobias get to, get to campus. Um Um, so I think he brings a style that is a little different to the table as far as what they have on offense because he's a guy that I think is similar from a Lorenzo style standpoint where he I think he can play a little bit of the W I think he can play out into the field in the X I think he can do a lot of different things in that system so I really like the ability for potentially getting multiple receivers on the field that I think that alignment isn't that big of a deal right like I don't think that you have to pencil guys into one spot. I don't think you have to just say this is the only lineup that we can run from a wide receiver perspective. So I think Tobias is going to have an opportunity to play. He's a very talented football player. There's no doubt about it. The trouble that he has, I, I wouldn't say trouble, but he's not an early enrollee, right? So we're not going to see him on campus until the summer. So he's going to have a little bit of a shorter time to develop a role and grab a role in the in the offense. But I think the talent level is certainly there. So I'm excited about Tobias Merriweather. I look forward to him getting to campus. I think we had the next question was, excuse me, from 99 problems, but BK ain't one. NFL draft question for you, Ryan. From a talent perspective, am I crazy for thinking Foskey is comparable to Will Anderson? Of course, that's from Alabama, the defensive end. I think Will's um, stats are partly because he is elite, but also partly because he is 
partly a byproduct of Alabama. That's not a criticism, but that seems to be something that shapes Alabama's players' projection to the NFL. All right, um, so I, I, I think I, I get the I get where you're coming from. Ninety nine problems. I will say this: it's very early on in the scouting process of Will Anderson, but I will say he's he's good, man. He's really really good. He's he's a dynamic football player. If I had to put a number on who is the early favorite to maybe being the first non quarterback in next year's class, it's it's Will. I mean, because he's a really talented, flexible speed rusher who's got strong hands, and you don't. I don't think that. Like byproduct of a system, I don't think you have 31 tackles for loss and 16 sacks in a season because you're a byproduct of a system, right? Like he shattered records this past year. So I think Will is a really fantastic football player from a starting point. I also think that Isaiah Foskey, if I had to point to a couple guys that I think are the next edge after Will early on in this process, I would say Isaiah Foskey's up there. I would say Miles Murphy, who we're, we're gonna you Notre Dame is gonna see at Clemson are two very similar players. They're incredibly long. They kind of hit some inside counters. They're more they're more speed-to-power type of players, and I think true outside track rushers. So I think that that's where the comparison really comes for me. But I, I think that Isaiah has a great chance to go top 15, top 20 next year. Like I think he has that type of, that type of talent level, and I was happy to see him go back to school because I think that his arc could be very similar to like an Aiden Hutchinson where – I think if Foskey came out this year, he's a solid second-round pick, maybe sneaks into the latter half of the first round. But if he comes back and he has a season that we think that he can have, have I don't, I wouldn't doubt it if Isaiah Foskey's a future top 10 to 15 pick. Like I think that's possible for him. I want to – can I – I don't know what happened. So Brian, it was really funny. I just want to put this out there before you go. Ready? So you just said how I was like – how I, you left me speechless, yeah. right? Well, I thought I left you speechless. You, you were just, just like knocked there. me out of the park. I mean, you just knocked me out of the show. I couldn't even be in the show anymore. That's you were how like that. Whatever you said was. I, I wait. I waited for a good five seconds. I'm like, are you messing with me? Because I thought no. You so what happened? We, had a, we lost power. Like our power oh. went out. So what? I don't know what I was freezing on. I don't know what happened, but uh, we had we lost power. So and I'm so thankful I bought this new computer a month or so ago because uh, the other computer took like 15 minutes to get back on. So I don't know what happened. We were like, and it's like a nice, beautiful, sunny day. I have no clue what happened. You, you need uh, to go into these comments when it happened because people are like LMAOing and yeah. LOLing. And, yeah, I, I hate when Sub Zero attacks Brian mid analysis. I don't know what happened. Some of these, you know, so I don't know what happened. But uh, yeah, we lost power. So I uh, that's what I got kicked out. But I, I did I did want to address the the. And I don't know what was said about Tobias Merriweather, but I, I did want to respond to one of the comments there. Uh, go back to 2009 when Bama won their first title. Here's the top tackle for loss guy that they had. 14, 14 and a half, 18, 18 11, 9, 12 and a half, 14 and a half, 19, 13, 19 and a half, 12 and a half, 13, Will Allen, 33 and a half. When you destroy anything else anyone has ever done in the system, you're not a system guy. You're a great player. Uh, so I don't I don't think he's a byproduct system. I also think the system doesn't cause you to be twitchy. The system doesn't cause you to be have great hands. The system doesn't cause you to do all those kind of things. I think those things are just inherent. So, yeah, I agree with you, Ryan. I think he's a special talent. Uh, and I'm going to tell you something right now. That Alabama edge combination next year is going to be not fun to defend because you're going to have him on one side and then Dallas Turner is going to be playing a whole lot more on the edge next year in passing situations too. 
He's pretty that's, good. Pretty yes. Good. <laughs> that's a couple twitchy dudes uh, when it comes to rushing a quarterback. But I, I agree. I think Isaiah Foskey has a chance to be the second best edge player in the country next year. And they're completely different players. That's the thing I like. Like Isaiah is a big physical, like potentially all around player. It's going to be uh it's going to be impressive. I'm, I'm looking forward to you and I getting together after the draft and kind of going over the early, you know, 220, 2023 draft prospects for Notre Dame and their opponents, mm-hmm. you know, because next year's draft class on the defensive line, if you think this year's draft D line draft class is good, wait till next year's when it's Anderson Foskey, the two kids from Clemson. I mean, it's going to be an absurd well, yeah, top 10 I, next year. I think, I think the biggest difference between this year and next year is, is, defensive end may be even a little deeper this year than next year, but like next year is a very good class early on, it appears. But I think the biggest difference is the defensive tackle class is going to be so much yes. better than this year. And the J- Jalen Carter from Georgia is better than both the Georgia kids coming out. Yes. This year. And That's here's the thing I'll point. say about the edge. I think the edge so far is deeper. I think there's way more elite players next year. Like you're going to, dr- you might get in defensive end drafted in this draft that has no business going number one, none next year. It's almost like you wait a minute, you you didn't draft Will Anderson? Like, are you nuts? Uh yeah, I think I think I don't know what the depth is gonna be like, but just off the top of my head, I can rattle off potentially four top ten draft picks on the D line next year. Just off the top of my head. And Anderson, Foskey, Breezy, and Murphy. I mean, just right. Carter, Carter too, Carter, man. Yeah, Carter's that's another a dude. one. I mean, just He's a dude. Like, yeah. there's going to be some. <laughs> there's going to be some guys coming out next year on the defensive line. I'm telling you, Zach. But- you know, if Zach Harrison can kind of put it all together. You know, he's a he's an athletic guy. I don't know what kind of football player he is, but th- there, there's going to be some really good defensive linemen coming out next year. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. And, and to your point, the the interior one. That's what I've heard that from a lot of NFL draft people that I that I talk to and read. And you've said this to me before as well. The deep, the interior is going to be so much better than it was this year. But yeah, th- there's going to be some dudes next year on the the defensive line. And I know we were talking about you guys were talking about Tobias Merriweather when I was gone. Somebody said uh, uh, I'm trying to find the comment about Corey Robinson, and that uh, they hope they hope that Tobias Mary. It says, let me see here. Uh, I'm trying to find it because I. Uh, Will Chisanik says Tobias Merriweather is going to be like Corey Robinson. Hopefully, that's not a hopeful situation. If if Tobias Merriweather ends up like Corey Robinson, that's a to me a disappointment. That's not a knock on Corey Robinson. Corey Robinson was a nice, solid player. Tobias Merriweather is not a nice, solid prospect. Tobias Merriweather needs to be more like Chase Claypool, you know, and and Michael Floyd and Will Fuller type product. I mean, I genuinely think Tobias can be that good. I think he's a top 50 national product. I graded him out as a, now I could be wrong, but Tobias Merriweather is not just a good player. I think he's an elite player in my opinion. So I would, I'm going to be honest with you. I would be disappointed if Tobias Merriweather is what Corey Robinson was at Notre Dame. He's a good, again, Corey was a good solid player, but he was not fast. He was, he was not a dynamic, take a game over kind of guy. Um, I ne- I I remember he was getting like some first round NFL draft pick buzz. Remember that? And it was like just the weirdest thing. They wasn't first round draft pick, but it was like somebody saw them play and it was like, I think Corey Robinson's going to be a high pick next year. So I'm like, because it's because it's that's because he played early in his dad's David Robinson. That's all. Yeah. Was. So it was a little bit of a a strange, strange, strange thing. But yeah, somebody said this, and this is an interesting one. Irish Natty within three years, the Bias is more like Justin Ross and Corey Robinson. Now, see, I don't think that's a good comparison either. I think he's more like T Higgins, but but more dynamic. 
is what I think. I think that's the better – the body type, the skill set, the style of play. I think he's much more like T. Higgins than he is – I'll say <laughs> my version of T. Higgins <laughs> yeah. than he is of Justin Ross, just stylistically and athletically. Yeah, and, and I mean, when Justin Ross was healthy, man, dude was a different cat. <laughs> Even yeah. stylistically, if we're comparing yeah. him, like that kid was that juice, length. Different players. Nuts, Just, yeah. yeah, I mean, the kid had a 1,000 yards receiving in, as a freshman and didn't even have 50 catches. I mean, I, I'm going to go look up the numbers. It was, it was I, I believe I'm correct on that. Yeah, he had a 1,000 yards exactly and nine touchdowns on 46 catches. That's, that's, that's pretty good. Last I checked, that's pretty good. You know, and T was 59 for 1167 the next year. I don't know if, I don't know if, if Tobias will have that kind of like 20 yards per catch. That was more of a, that was just the offensive system. And, and they played a pretty crap schedule, to be honest with you. Uh, Cause we saw T in the postseason struggle a little bit. You know, he got, he got locked down pretty good by, by Ohio state. I mean, he, they were jamming him up pretty good. He had some big games against, you know, just teams aren't good. But I think that's more stylistically the comparison for me than um, than the other one. So that's just kind of my my two cents on uh, on that one. So uh, Ryan, can we get back to this and wrap this stuff up here real quick? Uh, yeah. We are not Marshall says Brian. Do you see uh, different blitz packages from Al this year? I would love to see an overload from one side and the safety blitz from the weak side. We saw stuff like that at times last year. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see different blitzes, but not because it's Al Golden as much as it's the personnel is going to be different. Right, right. Like, yeah, I say it's your 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 two guys, right? Uh, these are these are his, Ryan's boys. I'm gonna give them to Ryan and and let him let him run with those. Like I gave Cam Hart. Middle, Hart, middle of the field, baby. Middle of the field. There's Lewafowl and Brandon and Brandon Joseph. Brandon Joseph. One thing I did like from him, and he didn't do it a ton at at, at Northwestern, but I thought he had showed really good instincts as a as a blitzer. I think we'll see him do those things, and I think we'll see Maris Lewafowl do that. So I think we'll see both of those guys use a use as blitzers this times. And I think Ramon Henderson in a few times when he was used as a as an edge blitzer, like there was a Virginia Virginia game where he came off the edge his first game and just blew up the running back. Uh, I think we'll see more. I think we'll see more pressures this year, but I think it's it's more about the personnel is mm-hmm. better for that than you know than than necessarily a, a difference in philosophy for Marcus Freeman and and Al Golden. Thoughts on I- that? Yeah, I think Watts blitzing from off off the slot too could be could be some interesting because I think they all I th- I think the biggest differences to your point is the fact that like second and third levels I think are just a little more athletic as a whole now going into twenty twenty two so that's why I think that there's definitely going to be different blitz packages and I think the other thing that you said earlier was. You had high hopes for Isaiah Foskey going into last year, but you didn't quite know exactly what he was going to be. Now everybody knows who number seven is, right? So I think that you can use it to the advantage. You mentioned earlier, like, you know, we're going to slide protection a ton for Isaiah Foskey. Well, what's that mean? That means that there's going to be less numbers to one side comparative to the other. So I think you're going to take advantage of those numbers because football is a numbers game. It's what it boils down to. So I think you're going to take advantage of that. And I think that you have the second and third level defenders that are better at getting home than maybe they were last year. And uh, Will, his last name is actually pronounced Chasonic, so we will try to get that right moving forward, Will. But I appreciate you, appreciate your comments on that. Uh, with a uh, Sean S. with a super chat says, "Was the Bracy who started at Georgia a false indication? Thought he was a Julian Love trajectory after that. Now he seems cemented as a second stringer. I would not call him a second stringer. We're going to see a lot of Tariq Bracy this year." Number one, he's part of a rotation at corner, and he's their starting nickel. And in today's era, a nickel 
is basically a starting position in a lot of instances. I don't think it was a false indication, Sean, and I, I, I get where you're coming from, and I think it's a fair thing to say. I think the difference between Tariq Bracey and Julian Love is twofold. Number one is Julian was a more natural defensive player, where Tariq was more of a natural athlete, but not – I think Tariq is a better athlete than Julian. I mean, anyone that I've ever talked to in Notre Dame will tell you that Tariq Bracey is one of the best athletes on the team. Mm-hmm. I just don't think Tariq is a natural football player. He's also a lot smaller than Julian was, like size-wise. But I think the di- other difference is, is Julian could get beat for a 50-yard gain, and it, and it would just piss him off. And he was a supremely confident player beyond his talent level, in my opinion. I think part of the reason Julian was so good is Julian believed he was better than he actually was. And I, and I say that as a compliment, Ryan. Tariq doesn't have that. Tariq doesn't have that supreme confidence in himself, which is why he had the collapse he had in 2020. But I think right. Tariq Bracey was a very underrated player for Notre Dame last year. I thought Tariq had a really good year for Notre Dame last season. Not great, but a good year. He played a lot more outside than people realize last season. Yeah. Well, I, I think he could be a weapon in the slot because I think he has a lot of man coverage skills. Like, he's a sticky dude. I feel like he's always in the right spot carrying vertically. It's just the fact that, like, just doesn't have length, man, to disrupt the catch points. So if we're getting put him in the slot where it's a little more of you're working majority, unless they're bigger slots against smaller type wide receivers, you're able to kind of keep your eyes toward the line of scrimmage a little more traditional sense if you're running a lot of zone from the slot as well. I think that that's going to play to him because, I mean, as a click and close type of type of corner, I think he's got a lot of ability and he's a really good athlete. I think he can run with just about anybody. The issues are, like you said, especially outside, there's just some limitations with length. Like there right. is. He just – and his instincts aren't good enough to overcome that. Right. It like, just if seems- he had Sean Crawford's instincts, yeah, he'd be a heck of a player. Because that's the thing. Sean Crawford had exceptional instincts as a football player. He mm-hmm. just the injuries, and then he was he was even shorter than than uh, than Tariq is. He had I, I physical think, limitations. I think Tariq's got a little bit of what I kind of thought with Troy Pride at, to a sense sometimes. I feel like he didn't really play the football that well yeah. in the air, and I think that's like a natural instinctual type of thing sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Like he was always in the right spot. Yeah. yeah. He was always in the right spot. It's just sometimes he just wouldn't get his – he wouldn't get his eyes turned back to the right. football, and he wouldn't be able to play the football. He just he just wasn't natural at it. Yeah. Jay Montalbano. Hi, Brian and Ryan. If you're if you're the head coach, do you want to coach the 21 or the 22 team who's better? Am I just assuming that the coaching staffs are the same around me? If, yeah, I'm if the you're head the head coach, so you yeah. get to pick the coaching staff. So oh. it's more looking at the rosters and which one would you rather coach? It's a t- that's actually I'll tough, say bro. this. I think 22 has the better team. I think 21 has the schedule I like more. Yeah. I think this coaching staff would have run the table last year. Easily. Like, they would have beat Cincinnati. They'd have beat Cincinnati the way Cincinnati beat them. Because, again, the schedule was soft. I mean, they'd have have, have gone 12-0 with a one win over a ranked team. One. This year's schedule is going to be a lot harder. I mean, it's kind of like 2007. 2017 was arguably the second or third best team Brian Kelly had. At three losses because they played eight ranked teams that year, right? The next year they go one and they go 11 and two. They were one and two and they had a winning. No, they played seven ranked teams that year and they went four and three against them. So over half their schedule was teams that finished the year ranked 10 win. They had Georgia, the national runners up. You lost two by one. 
you, you lost to a top 15 Miami team, a top 25 Stanford team. You beat a top 15 Michigan State team in one 10 games. You beat a top 15 USC team by 35. You beat Michigan State on the road to finish in the top 15 with 10 wins by 20, and they scored last. You pounded a top 25 uh, NC State team by 21, and I'm trying to remember who the fourth-ranked team. So you had – you oh, LSU in the bowl game was the fourth-ranked team that they beat. So half of your regular season opponents were ranked. The next year, they had a better record. They went 11-2. They went 1-2 and two against ranked opponents. They played three ranked teams all year, lost to two of them. So the schedule can dictate a lot more of what your record is necessarily than your talent level. And, and that's just that's just the reality. Or no, two years later, because it was in 2019. They went 3-1 and one against ranked teams in 2018. So to me, I, Ryan, I think that the 21 schedule would make that team really attractive. Because with good coaching, last year's team would have been much better, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, you know, but um, it just the just the roster. I think this year's team is going to be better. Yeah, I, I think so. Wise. I think so too. But that's kind of what changed my because because I started thinking about last year's team that had a lot of talent still, but I have my coaches around me. So in theory, I'm thinking like I have Harry Heastan on last team last year's team instead. You know what I mean? And the the easier schedule, like you said. So I might defer to last year's, honestly, just when you kind of pay, take everything into account. But it's also, I feel like if you're picking this year's team, it's also like kind of like the mystery box thing, you know? Because right. like you, you think you know, but then you, right. you kind of figure out some things here pretty quick. So I think I would take last year's just because it's a little more of a known uh, uh, quantity and I have different people it, around it. It's known on it. both sides. We know more right. about what Notre Dame's team was. We know more about what the schedule was. And, and so I, I think this team has more talent. The reason I say that is, is you, you, you have the, the freshman class, which was really good, is now a year older. Foskey has a year under his belt. Adam Yola has got a full year starting under his belt. Justin Adam Yola had a much more improved role. Marist is going to be healthy this year. Cam Hart's got a year under his belt. I just, and, and the incoming freshman class is, is going to help. But again, I just, it's just, the schedule is the, the tougher thing. So um, it just, I think that's what, but I think they're both very talented teams. And it, it's a, that's what I love about the question. Cause it's not an easy answer. I like questions that aren't easy answers. And that was definitely one Rob did off Brian and Ryan off topic. Looks like the weather is going to be good for the spring game. I hope to make it to the IB tailgate. We hope to see you there as well. Rob, Absolutely. a lot of fun. John a one is Henderson interchangeable at safety and nickel. To, I mean, to to a degree, I don't love him at nickel. To be honest, I think I, I think love the corner. I, that's right. the thing is, a lot of stuff at corner is going to be what he what nickel is what he did at corner, right, Ryan? And and yeah. he wasn't a natural flip his hips guy. That's that's the thing with Ramon. He's not. He he was never a great turn and run guy. No. And at safety, he can be he can be more downhill. So, and he's a he's a little bit of a glider. He's got like those long strides yeah. to him, you know. I, I I like Xavier Watts a little more as like an interchangeable big nickel safety type. Like that's the guy for yeah. me. Yeah. All right. Let's get back to this one. Will Chasonic. We have a chance to say his name correctly. Ryan. So I guess he doesn't want to hear what I have to say. Do you believe Deion Cole? It's not going to stop me from saying it, but it, he doesn't want to hear it. Uh, Ryan, do you believe Deion Colsey has the highest pro potential of any receiver on the roster? I feel Low Styles has more potential to be an elite college football receiver, but Colsey has all the pro tools, in my opinion. Thoughts. 
I think we got this same question on a similar question. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, I, and it's going to remain the same. I think that Lorenzo styles has a higher upside from the ability that he has to play multiple spots. And I think that he's where the NFL is going, right? Like, I don't think a receiver, you're just going to play in one single spot anymore. Like a guy's going to move all the way around. I think he's just an instant separator. I think he's going to kind of be a three level threat. If he hits his, if he hits the, the peak of what he can be, I really do think that Deion Colsey has an outstanding profile as far as the length and speed, but I, I, I really do think that Lorenzo Styles he just kind of wins me over when you just talk about the ability that he has to win in so many different areas. I think he's just a little more of a diverse, versatile wide receiver than Deion, if that makes sense. I, I still feel like Deion has the highest ceiling on the current roster. I do. But that's for college. I, I think the NFL game has changed a lot the last five, six years where you're seeing more guys like Lorenzo Styles, route runners, or Devontae Adamses, Cooper Cups is, you know, there's still a need for, I mean, there's still, people still love the Mike Evans type players, right? There's still a need for there. And that's more of where Dion is. But you're seeing now the guys that are just dominating in the NFL now are the, are the guys that are more like Lorenzo Styles, smaller, 6'1", 6'2", elite route runners, elite, you know, can get in, can do all those type of things. So I, I think that pro potential, there's a lot more positions that you can slide a Lorenzo Styles into than offenses that are looking for the next Deion Colsey type of player. So it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. I'll say this, the guy that has the highest ceiling, however, the, the guy with the NFL potential is currently not on the roster. The My answer will change once the roster gets updated this summer and it'll be <laughs> Tobias Merriweather. And then our next question is about Tobias Merriweather. Uh, Camden Hirschberger asked, did you have Tobias ranked ahead of C.J. Williams? Yes. And I was someone who did not change my opinion of C.J. when he went to USC. And I know some people do that. Well, you know, he really wasn't that. C.J. Williams is a really good football player. And I like C.J. And, and I pushed for him to move up in the rankings at SI and the SI 99 when we put our rankings together. And he moved up from the 80s you know, just a little bit. Uh, but I always had Tobias ranked higher because we had Tobias in the top 50 at SI 99. We had him at 46. And I would have had him a couple spots higher because there was a couple guys and I'm like, I ain't better than Tobias Merriweather. Not a receiver. We had him pretty high at receiver, but in some other positions. But yes, I always had Tobias. Tobias was my number one ranked receiver on the Notre Dame board for, from basically the beginning of the whole process. Ryan, who did you have higher, Tobias? I think I know the answer, but um, Tobias or CJ? Yeah, I didn't watch CJ as much as Tobias, but I mean, I, I just kind of envision CJ as a really good possession receiver. I think mm-hmm. he could play like some big slot stuff too. And I think he's really dependable, but I just think that Tobias just has more upside as far yeah. as like being a, a game breaker, right? Like yeah. I think he can create more explosive plays. I think he's more alignment versatile. So I would always I would always align with the guys that I think can kind of just do more. You yeah. know what I mean? And CJ to me was a volume pass catcher. He was, he was a lot like Juju Smith-Schuster in college. Volume pass catcher. But I never viewed Juju as a take a game over and kind of guy like I thought a T Higgins could be a Justin Ross could be like to me, Tobias has more that type of impact where he he doesn't need to catch nine balls for 120 yards. He'll catch five for 120 yards, you know, and that guy scares you more. I mean, if we're just being honest, Will Fuller scares you more than Michael Floyd. That's just as a defensive coordinator. He just does. Michael will catch 30 more passes than Will. Will will have more yards. And that's exactly what happened. You know, I mean, Will Fuller had more catch, more about 200 more yards uh, than Michael Floyd in his last year. He was like 1260 something. I'm actually going to look that up because I want to, you know me, I like I like to be accurate. But uh, Will Fuller had like 65 catches for over 1200 yards in 2015. 
Yeah, 62 catches for 1,258 yards. Michael Floyd in his last year had uh, 100 catches, but only had 1,147 yards. Now, part of that was the system and, you know, different quarterbacks and all that, but you get the point, right? Like, he did more with less. And that's a big difference in me between Tobias and CJ, is if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm a whole lot more afraid of, of Will Fuller than I am of Michael Floyd. And they're both great players, but that's just the way that they were used, I should say. Mm-hmm. Here's the last one from Paul Keene. Do you th- do you think this team is better than the 2017, 2018, and 2015 teams? I have no idea. You, you want to take a crack at that? So let's say what you if you were to take what you think this team will be, right? Because the, the answer right now is we don't have a clue what this team is going to be yet. Right. But let's say this team is what we think it's going to be. Guys pan out, all that kind of stuff. Try, I mean, no, probably not. I mean, I'm going to be. I'm always optimistic, so I think that the I think that the team this year has a a high ceiling. Like I do, I do think that they're contenders, but I mean, like that 2015 team specifically, like on the offensive line, like there's just known commodities that I feel like you just kind of look at. And you're just like, I'm more comfortable with that right now than the projection. So I think I would say no to the question, but I'm willing to entertain it because I do think that the upside is there. But like right now, I would say no. I think this team has a chance to be better than all of them. And here's why I say that the talent won't be better. The 2015 team is still a better talented team, but it's a better team because that 2015 team pissed away a lot of talent. We've talked about this. Now I'll say this, who would be better if you could take the same coaching staff, same strength program and put them on all those teams. I think this team would probably rank second or third. It's fair because that 2017 team was loaded with because if you had better coaching in 2017, Brandon Wimbush would have spent the whole season throwing to Chase Claypool, Equinemus St. Brown, Kevin Stefferson, and Miles Boykin, as opposed to Cam Smith and Chris Fink. And you know what I mean? Like that's just the reality. And that would have made that team so much better. The 2015 team, till still to me, if the if if all things are equal from a coaching standpoint. The 2015 team is still the best team, Notre Dame team, best team they would have had. It's the most talented team they would have had. Team was loaded, man. Loaded. 23 <laughs> may have a chance to get there, but that team was loaded. But again, it's the better team. I don't think that 2015 team was a great team. They lost to every good team they played, every single one. And and almost lost to a couple other good teams like Temple, right? So to me, that was the most talented team. But their coaching on defense sucked. And the strength program was a hot mess. Uh, so best team, this team has a chance to be that. I still think right now the best Notre Dame team of that group was 2018. Best team. Not most talented, but the best team. That 2018 was a better team. 2015 was by far the most talented team. I'm sorry. I'll say it again. The 2015 team should have won a national championship. There's no question about it. If, if, if you'd have given Nick Saban and his staff that team, they would have won a championship that year and beat Clemson even more convincingly than they did. I think Notre Dame had the best roster in college football that year. I, I There's no one that can convince me otherwise. No one. Alabama had a freaking Jacob Coker at quarterback. Come on. So, yes, I, would, I think that team – I mean, and that team still almost beat Clemson at Clemson, right? You know, so yes, I think I think that team in 2015 was the biggest waste of talent that I've I've ever seen at Notre Dame in my life, my entire life. Then that's saying a lot. 
because we've seen some teams get wasted. So that is going to do it to me for me today for us, Ryan. I've enjoyed this was a fun show, and I appreciate you covering for me when I got frozen when our power went out. Uh, so uh, I, I really really enjoy that. Uh, I really enjoy that you can can take over for me and, and allow me to get back here. So everybody have a great rest of the day. Hey, listen, check the message board. Sign up. We got a lot of good conversation going. Uh, Two thousand. Uh, this is <laughs> perfect timing, Mace. 2000 is not enough, right? Join the message board, crush that like button, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, sign up for our newsletter, check out the built bar. We got ton, we got, hey, merch store has been a little slow lately, y'all. Y'all need to pick it up. Okay, let's get some more stuff from the merch store. And if, hey, here's the thing. If you haven't signed up for Irish Breakdown and you want to get stuff from the merch store, sign up first. Because if you sign up for $4.99 monthly membership, you will get 10% off your next entire purchase to the, to the merch store. If you sign up for an annual membership, or if you decide you just want to support us and you don't, you're not a message board person, but you want to support us, sign up for one of our, our booster clubs. We've got the Shamrock Club, which is $100. You'll still get access to the message board if you want it. Uh, the, the blue club is $150. The gold club is, is $200. And that just goes directly to us as opposed to a chat, a super chat, that kind of thing, which is really nice, which we really appreciate. Uh, and the, and you still get the discount, right? So if you sign up, you get 20% off uh, the, your next merch, uh, merch store purchase. So uh, really appreciate everybody and all your support. 2,000 down, and we're not even close to being done. So we're going to keep putting out great content. And as I said before, Ryan, I told them before um, you got on there, uh, I told you that I don't want you to be the only full-time employee for very long. So we got to keep growing to make that happen. I told you all from the very beginning if you support us and you help us grow and we start making more money, I'm going to be investing that revenue back into the company. Ryan is a perfect example. A year ago at this time, I did not have the resources to grow and hire someone full time. Your support allowed us to get to that point where we could grow and, I, and I'm not done. You keep helping us grow and I'm going to keep growing and I'm going to keep building this sucker up. So and I look forward to much, 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 much more. So anyway, have a great rest of your day. And thank you all so much for joining us on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.